I mean, there was a wonderful thing I saw in an old Vogue, and it was like, basically, people thought of millinery as a, an earlier form of Prozac. So if you were feeling miserable or low, you went to a milliner and you had a lovely pat made and it lifted your spirit. Hello, my name is Punam and welcome to Crew Chat's podcast where I speak to the people that work behind the scenes in film, TV and theatre. Today I had the pleasure of speaking with the milliner, Sean Barrett, about all things hats, some of his famous clients and striking a work-life balance. Hi, Sean. Hi, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to speak to me. I really appreciate it. Um, okay, so you're a milliner, and what does that involve for you? So I design and make hats and headdresses. Sometimes little bits of costume accessory and things like that. You know, flowers, wings, ruffs for um, yeah, for films, theatre, television, um, and work in collaboration with various costume designers. Yeah. And. I know we did before because I'll just admit I didn't press record, but we did speak about uh, your private clients, which I'm going to get on to later because I really yes, I do have the odd, the odd one <laughs> like vestiges of my my brief flirtation with fashion, and also sometimes like um, I will make hats for for various actresses and things like that, and they might say to me, "Darling, you know, I've been asked to do so and so and so and so." do you ever make privately? And so I've done, so I did sort of like Maggie Smith when she became um, a companion of honour, I made her hat to go mm. to the palace and various other actresses when she when they've gone to Buckingham Palace or they've become, I remember Penelope Keith was made the high sheriff of Surrey, I think I made her hat to that and then various other occasions and things like that. So yeah, the sort of like little sort of knock-ons, so to speak. <laughs> I like that phrase, knock on. <laughs> um, and how did you get into what you do? Well, I decided that I was going to train in theatre design. So I went to Wimbledon School of Art and um, it was a degree in all aspects of theatre design. So you used to do introductory courses covering things like lighting, sound, props, scene painting, all of those things. Um, and then you would help out the third years because when you were in the third year, you had to put on production. So the two years below would help out with the production. So I actually wanted to do prop making originally because I used to do sculpture. I used to do a lot of sculpture and it was oversubscribed. <clears throat> so I thought I'd have a go at millinery because I couldn't really sew properly. But I thought it was a bit sort of like Blue Petery, you know, and I basically I owe my career to Valerie Singleton because it's sort of like I thought, oh, you know, blue and wire sounds good fun. I'll have a go at that. So uh, I did that. And it was one of those eureka moments, really. I just felt absolutely in love with it, became obsessed by finding out whatever I could. I used to get chucked out of college every night at half past eight because I was oh. there playing with bits of feather or twisting wire into strange shapes and things like that. And that was me, really. But, you know, it was a done deal, really. That was what I had to be. Oh, I love that. And actually, that leads on to a question I had, which is, what is it, what, actually, what's the most enjoyable thing about what you do? It's difficult to say, really. I love, I love so many aspects of it. One of the reasons I didn't, I'm, I mean, as I say, I'm not a fashion-y person, but one of the things that I love about what I do theatre-wise, is the opportunity to do research. I've always been fascinated by the history of fashion, um, history of style, things like that. So I love being able to research things. Um, and I actually love the physical act of making stuff. My idea of bliss is sort of like maybe a miserable afternoon with the radio on and some extraordinary thing. And you know when you're really excited by something and you're holding your breath? Yeah. Because you, you 
and I still get that, you know, oh. I just think, oh, well, when that stops, that's when I'll retire, really, you know, or, or when people stop asking me. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I just like the act of creating things. And I love the variety. So I love that one week I might be doing some of this ancient Egyptian and then I might segue into some mad sort of like folly showgirl and then it might be Elizabethan or 1940s. So, you know, it's it's always interesting. That's lovely. Do you know what? It's, I had another question, which is, which you've kind of answered, but it was like, why do you do what you do? And I don't know if that's, if that's an it's odd question to ask. Really. But it's, I, I can't describe it, really. It's, um, I, get, I love everything that I work with. Mm. So it's like, if I'm feeling miserable or I'm doing a really dreary job, so say I'm doing sort of like, you know, I don't know, say five basic black top hats, you know, they're, they're okay to make, but there's no creativity, yeah. you know, or bowler hats and things like that. And then I might open a box of feathers or flowers and it will just like cheer me up no end, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so I still get a real thrill over finding some beautiful piece of veiling and that will inspire me. You know, it's yeah. it's a really difficult thing. I don't know what I would, I can't imagine what else I would do really. That's lovely. I love that. It's um, you've not been jaded by <laughs> jaded by. No, I mean, don't get me <laughs> wrong. I'm not some saint up, but there are times when I get you know beyond pissed off with it all, and usually it's about the people rather than the work, or it might be about time scales or something like that. You know, or somebody rings me up and oh, we didn't ask you about so and so, did we? No. Oh, well, they're filming in two days' time. Really. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. That yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so sometimes that whole thing of sort of like, you know, for a long time, life has been on the back burner and you just think, mm. actually, yeah, no, I, that's one of the things I don't like about it sometimes. How how did you, and this is kind of going slightly off tangent and off topic, but mm. you just mentioned there, you touched upon it, but a striking a good work-life balance, has that come with time? Or Because it's hard to say it's no, I find in that industry. Long, to be honest with you, I think one of the real clinches for me was finding a partner so for a long time I'm single um and therefore my work was my life really because it didn't matter you know I could work as long as I wanted to you know I have very tolerant friends and a lot of my friends are in theatre so they understand that oh god I'm really sorry but you know they bought a delivery date forward or blah 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 but now I have a partner, I have to factor him into the equation more. And actually, I think it took a long time for it to happen. And I'm very fortunate that he is very long suffering. But it's <laughs> you just think, no, it's it's not fair. I've got to think about somebody else as well. It's not just me. So I'm hoping that I'm getting better at saying, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that because I'm going away on holiday or actually we're going away for a weekend or, you know, something like that. I mean, it doesn't happen often, but. Yeah, I'm trying to get better at it. Yeah, I don't think I was. Um, it's one of those things I think in our industry often people find it really hard to say. I think generally in life people find it hard to say no. There's art yes. to saying no to, and a way Absolutely. to say it. Um, but, I always say as well when you're self-employed, there's yeah. always that worry about the finances. Yeah, exactly. You, you say yes to everything because you don't know what's around the corner. Yeah, it's very true, and even that now more so. I feel like it's a bit scary, well, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, with the writer's strike and things like that, I mean, I was at a memorial service last week for a lovely, a very famous costume designer, actually Charles Node, who designed Blade Runner and Braveheart and things like that. And he was a dear friend, 
Um, and I was talking to lots of people there and they were saying, you know, there's just no work around because mm. the, the writers strike in America and various, you know, knock-on effects and things like that. So you just think, you know, after the the um, the nightmare of the um, COVID, yeah, pandemic. COVID yeah. and all that, you just think, you know, give us a break really yeah we just kind of, everything just kind of got going and then yeah, yes absolutely and yeah. slightly on pause again I mean it will all work out it always does I think it will yeah hopefully um why are hats headwear head accessories I guess mm. kind of relevant and important why do you think they still exist in our in in fact in what you do I guess as well in film and theatre why are they important in that but then also there is a real but there's a a joy or something special about wearing some sort of headwear yeah I mean well the thing is I suppose a hat is isn't at all essential it's it's like jewelry but it's a lovely way of being expressive I mean and actually I think it's sort of like coming slightly back but it's it's an amazing way of showing your individuality it's you can be utterly bonkers with a hat I suppose you could do it to a certain extent with shoes but um a hat it's just a little bit of nonsense and also it's about it's your face it's your personality it's up there it's what's in the eye you know and it's like when you're making for films or television or something like that quite often it's the head shoulders that are in the shot you know and you can convey an awful lot by the style of a hat that a person wears and an actress can convey a lot of character through her hat, the way that the hat might echo certain head movements, you know, if it's got very extravagant feathers, it might, they might echo or emphasize every movement of the head. You know, there are all sorts of extraordinary, and hats have gone through the most weird, weird um, you know, if you look at the history of hats and you look at those mad, you know, medieval combs yeah. three feet high and then you go on to sort of like whole stuffed birds and things like that on hats and, you know, and right up to modern day with things being made out of perspex and, you know, all that sort of thing. It is an extraordinary little accessory, you know, it's it's just about whimsy, really. I mean, there was a wonderful thing I saw in an old Vogue, and it was like basically people thought of millinery as a, um, a an earlier form of Prozac. So if you were <sighs> feeling miserable or low, you went to a milliner and you had a lovely hat made, and it lifted your spirits. You know, and you'd, how lovely! <laughs> you know, long may that last. That is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so how does your, you touched upon it that, uh, earlier that you do theatre and film and television work. How does your process differ from theatre and stage versus screen? So with theatre, you have to bear in mind, so say I'm doing something that's going to be a long run. So I, I, I used to make a lot of the hats for Wicked. And you think, I think some of them are still in use, you know, which is, is, is mad. Oh, wow. And, and and again, you know, things like Chitty Bang Bang and things like that, you know, they run for a long time. So you have to think of they, they're made to last. So you would use very heavy, wire, heavy wires. You'd use quite a lot of stiffener. You'd use trimmings that would be up to a certain amount of handling and abuse and things like that, especially if you're working with, say, a touring production when you think it all has to be packed up and moved on to the next theatre, you know, two weeks you know, later and things like that. 
With film, obviously everything is amplified. It's so big. You're thinking there is an enormous screen there. So every stitch can register. It gives you a chance to use perhaps some of the most beautiful things that you've collected because they might be fragile. So say I have some beautiful pieces of embroidery or fabulous flowers or veils or exquisite antique plumes that would not last for a couple of performances, really. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, say you're sitting in a big theatre somewhere like Drury Lane or the Palladium, you're not going to see them. I mean, from a distance, you just get colour, glitter and shape. Whereas in a film, you get every little tiny detail, you know. And so it is that thrill of being able to lavish lots of time and care over something. And do you have a preference? Do you know, I don't know that I do. I love being able to do the really fine work. Um, and I love some of the things that I've had the opportunity to work on. Um, Any particular favourites? Yeah, there's a few that I love. They're not necessarily good films, but for me, they were lovely experiences. So Anna Karenina that um, Jacqueline Duran designed and uh, Kira Knightley was in. I loved working on that. That was a complete joy. I can imagine. There was another film called The Wings of a Dove, which was uh, Helena Bonham Carter. That was a lovely one. Sandy Bauer designed that. And another film that didn't really do well, but oh my God, it was fabulous to work on, called Cherie, which was based on the Colette novel and designed by Consulate Boyle. And it was um, Michel Pfeiffer, as a courtesan in 1912 Paris. So it was just such a delight to work on. It was really lovely. And then there's mad things like I did the favourite, so bizarre sort of like fontages and things like that, you know, loads of weird things. But theatre usually is an awful lot more organised. So with theatre, you very often will get drawings, You'll get the fabric sent to you quite often. There will be a date when they are on stage to start doing technical rehearsals yeah. and an opening night. You've only got to look in the paper to see what night they're <laughs> open. Whereas on a film, it can be, oh, you know that scene that they're doing next month? Yeah, well, they've moved it and they're doing it next week now. <laughs> you know? So it's all that madness, you know. But And quite often you'll get something like, oh, I don't, you know, what What do you want? What I don't know, she's wearing black. I want her to look fabulous. Can you do something? Sort of thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> do you get quite creatively invested in those situations then? Do you just put yeah, your it. own? I, love it. I mean, obviously it's only designers that I work with a lot that would entrust me to that sort of thing, mm. you know. So um, I've just finished working with a lovely designer called Tom Pye who designed um, Gentleman Jack. And he's just done this mad new Disney series that's not shown yet called The Ballad of Renegade Now. And it's about a highway woman in oh. 1705. Bonkers storyline, but just a complete and utter delight to work on. And Tom will do like a rough sketch and then I'll get fabric samples. But then I'll say, well, oh, could you do this? Or I could you do this? Or what do you think of this? Or, you know... And it's really, that makes it really exciting and such fun to work on. It's lovely. And basically, we just spend a lot of time on the phone laughing. Really, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he um, is a complete delight to work for. 
Oh, I have to look up. That sounds really interesting. Band of Renegade now. It sounds like a, does it ring a bell? I feel like is it, you said it's based off. No, it's new. So it's it was it's written by Sally Wainwright. Um, oh. you know who did Happy Valley and um and she did Gentleman Jack as well. So did, oh, she did a. I loved her interview on Woman's Hour. I don't know if you just. I don't know if you listened. No, to I didn't her. hear that one. No, she was on that, and she was. I think she was talking about her. Um, this is so off tangent, but her um importance of her mother in her life I think it was mm. it was really mm. I think she had just lost her mother it was right. a, maybe a couple of months ago but it was a I had I hadn't watched Happy Valley or I think I've watched Gentleman Jack for so they but everyone it was when it, I think she was on it as um the last season of Happy Valley yeah. had come out and yeah. it made me want to watch it I want to watch all those yeah. seasons, both her the, but yeah it was yeah. a really good interview sorry off tangent but yeah. um I'll look that up <laughs> yeah absolutely um, but you mentioned Cherie and uh your the hat that you made for uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and that brings me on to a very great very nice segue there um was that you <laughs> that hat that you referred to is actually a part of an exhibition that is called Showtime for Hats which um, right. was curated by Claire Strickland and yes. you sort of did touch upon your love of for that particular design and hat but um could you tell us a bit more about your involvement and the piece you've um that piece I guess the hat so Claire um, decided to put this exhibition together to highlight a particular branch within the, the British Hat Guild. So there are quite a few um, theatre milliners and theatrical milliners and things like that. So we're all putting in one hat from a particular, you know, a, a play, a television or a film or so on and so forth. And um, so I had the, the, the hat was returned to me after filming. So Michelle Pfeiffer as Cherie is escaping from a, a, bit, a bit of heartbreak. So uh, she goes to stay in this wonderful hotel in Biarritz, and it's 1912, yeah, 1912, I'd say. Um, and she makes this entrance into the restaurant in the most exquisite mm. dress, this a stunning draped, sort of soft dove gray and black dress. Um, and then the hat is a huge brim, and it's made of lace, it's, it's made of antique lace that has oh. horse chestnut leaves woven into it. Wow. And then the crown is draped in the same fabric as the dress and it's trimmed with dove grey and black silk and velvet roses. Um, and she just looked a dream in it and it was so lovely to make, it really was. And I had to go over to do fittings at the Georges Saint in Paris. Oh, the trials of life. I know, I know. (laughs) With Consolata and Jane Law, who made the dress. Jane makes the most exquisite costumes. And yeah, it was a complete delight, really. The whole thing was wonderful. So that's going into the exhibition. Are you excited about seeing it? Yeah, I am, actually. It'll be nice. It'll be nice to see everybody else's as well. I'm looking Because we all work in sort of like little bubbles, really. It's quite rare for us to overlap. I, there's a lovely milliner called Simon Dawes and I used to share the hats for Wicked with him so we used to sometimes do you know I remember going to Stuttgart with him to do fittings over there and we quite often would work on pantomime together and things like that and that was great fun you know and we'd bring each other up saying oh my god I've got so much to do are you going to get finished in time you know <laughs> all of that sort of thing but it's quite rare to actually have a couple of people on a production so uh, yeah it's lovely to see other people's work. Yeah, it'll be nice because it's coming out in September. Well, the exhibition opens in September, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your process when you get given a brief or when you get given a job, when you get onto a job, I guess? Usually, so you get called in to see the designer or you get a phone call or something like that. So talk through with them. They, they'll they have 
sometimes they have designs if not they'll have ideas or they'll have references and things like that so you look at that I might then come back and I'll pull out things that I think might be useful so I might think oh actually I've got a beautiful feather is exactly that color and would do this and it or or you know some flowers or an old straw I might I collect old you know straw hoods and things like that so I might have a particularly beautiful weave of straw or something and then you offer that up you might do a prototype shape which can be as you know rough as in a bit of cardboard or stiff paper or something like that just to get the scale because what you don't want to do is um cut into a precious straw because you can't ever replace it it's a period one you know so um so you do that make sure that the scale's right then you'd make it you might go and do a fitting you might offer up a few different options in the way of trimming see if the actress is happy with it if there's um this is usually the case with film if there's a um a wig department or a hair department or something like that and there's you, you liaise with them because obviously you know that it has to be set on the wig at a particular angle you know all of those things they they all come into play and within your process what's your favorite part I, I quite like I quite like the initial thinking oh, I could do it like this or I could do it like this or finding some interesting new reference point or actually going out and hunting down the perfect piece of something to do it with you know I hate bizarrely, I was saying to, saying to my partner, I hate cutting out. I don't like cutting out fabric, <laughs> especially if it's big. So I'm just doing some, I've got three of the little silk um, velvet top hatch to do. I hate cutting out fabric. It slides all over the place. I'm not set up. So it's not like a costume maker that's got a big cutting table. Um, it's usually me on the kitchen floor on my hands uh, and knees, you know, <laughs> cursing. So that's my least favourite part of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, no, it's yeah, that's a difficult one. I've never really thought what my favourite bit is. It's also it's it's quite nice when you deliver it if you're there when they unpack it and hopefully they're thrilled with it. The reaction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's nice. It's nice to see the reaction. Of, yeah, the yes, reaction of absolutely. people. Definitely. And um, actually, whose work inspires you? What millinery, milliners, or or Milliner. fashion? Milliner or fashion, whoever. God, it's really difficult, I suppose. I mean, there are painters, there are... I mean, I, I went um, a few years ago, I went to that wonderful Dior exhibition in Paris. And I mean, everything about that was just heart-stoppingly beautiful. Yeah. It was just amazing. I came over to the V&A, but it was a lot smaller. Oh, was it? Um, oh, yeah. Because yeah. I saw it at the v In Paris, it was vast. Oh, and I, exquisite I mean I love John Galliano's work Alexander McQueen hugely inspirational I mean all the sort of like the obvious ones really um I think Philip Tracy is an absolute genius I think his work is exquisite absolutely breathtaking yeah it's quite random really okay. here and there you know I mean I look at sort of some fabulous Tissot painting and think oh I want to make that you know or an amazing painting of Anne of Austria, you know, and you just think, oh, God, that would be fabulous to make. <laughs> yes, you can find inspiration everywhere, isn't it? I guess as well. That's yeah. Especially as you yeah. said, you, you're into the re like the research part of it is yeah. a really enjoyable part of mm. our jobs as well. So you do get mm. to discover new things. Um, so this is my penultimate question, but you did touch upon having private clients. And I know you've done yeah. some royal work, but <laughs> I want to check first before I'm allowed to ask you about. 
I've done a little bit of uh, I've done a little bit of work for the Princess of Wales. So I started off when she was the Duchess of Cambridge, yeah. um, and that was via um, the costume designer from Downton Abbey. So apparently, the Duchess, uh, along with the the Duke of Cambridge, went along to see Downton Abbey being filmed and things like that. And then she came back for a second visit. She was very interested in the costumes and the clothes and things like that. And asked Anna if she could source some vintage pieces for her. I think sort of, I'm not absolutely sure. And then asked about perhaps having a couple of hats made. And so Anna was very kind and asked me if I could make a few pieces for her. So, yeah, so I've done a few and I I made the hat that she wore for the Queen's funeral when she was Princess of Wales. And I've done a few bits since then, yeah. So was your reaction when you got that call um, a bit different to any other other reactions for other jobs that you'd have got? No, bizarrely no. It is a really weird thing. So I remember years ago, my nephew was um, staying with me. He'd sort of like moved he'd just got a job in London he graduated was living in London and I was doing a film I was doing two films I was doing the film of Phantom of the Opera and I was also doing a film of The Merchant of Venice and I came and I had to go and do fitting in the evening with Al Pacino wow my nephew was like oh my god oh my god aren't you, aren't you, you know, you must be so excited, you must be so excited. And I just thought, do you know what, I'm just stressed beyond words because I've got so much to do. Because I'd spent the day at Pinewood doing Phantom of the Opera and then I had to come back, swap over bags and then go to um, uh... Ealing. And it's weird. So it's like when I meet somebody that's really famous, whatever, and I'm working, it's just I'm doing my job. So I don't feel daunted or awkward or anything like that whereas on the odd occasion when I've met somebody in a social setting I found I felt rather embarrassed and a bit awkward and didn't oh. really know what to say so- <laughs> that's interesting that, that's really interesting actually but I guess I think for uh, all of us that kind of do interact with people who are, I guess famous people who are working on screen or you know that fittings etc etc it's true your kind of like work face goes on doesn't it (laughs) yes yeah absolutely and you want them to be confident in you and they them to feel that you know you know what you're doing and you're going to take on board any worries that they might have and things like that you know so that's your 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 main worry your main your main concern is that you're making them feel at ease whilst you're doing your job that's true. That's very true. It's funny because you said about your nephew. It's the first question people ask me when I say why. Well, just like oh, famous people. I'm like, yeah, but they're just people. <laughs> like it's it's just yeah, one of those. Absolutely. We don't really see absolutely. it in that way, I guess, when you're working. Um, no. But you're right. But then I guess if you interact, I've, I think I've bumped into, I've seen someone. I don't know if you've ever watched the, the American Office, but we saw Steve Carell at the airport, and then our my. I was a bit like, oh, Steve Crow from The Office. But if I think I bumped into him at work, I'd just be like, oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember going to a book signing and getting um, David Attenborough to sign a book for my father for Christmas. And I was completely tongue-tied. <laughs> oh, I would be. I was like, epic. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's the context as well. Like, so you probably yes, have like a, a work face versus like yeah. normal human reaction face where you're like, oh, my days. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
this brings me on to my final question, which is what yes. are your three to watch recommendations? Right. So they're not necessarily to watch. So there's I've got a mixture here. So like I've it. got like a book. Nice. A gallery and a film. I like it. I'm curious. So the book is called and it's one of my all time favourites. I had it out of the library all the time when I was a student and I use it all the time now. So for anybody that's interested in millinery or anything like that, it's called The Mode in Hats and Headdress. The Mode in Hats and Headdress. Hmm. And it's by R. Turner Wilcox. And it's been reprinted. So it's an it's an old 1940s book and it's just got little line drawings but it goes from ancient Egyptian and Assyrian right through to the 1940s and actually in the reprint up to the 1950s. Oh. So the whole thing. And it's a brilliant read and fabulous, fabulous inspiration. Oh, I should check that out. It's a must. It's a must. Oh. So film, my one of my all-time favourite films, Kind Hearts and Coronet. Absolutely fabulous film. So 1949, it's a very black Ealing comedy set in the Victorian era about a young man whose mother has been wronged by her family for marrying out of class. So she marries an Italian opera singer and has a child. So she's disinherited by from her noble family. So her son, who's played by Dennis Price, decides to murder all of the members of the Dascoin family so that he will inherit the title. Oh. Um, and it's absolutely wonderful. Alec Guinness plays all of the members of the Dascoin family. Does he? Um, and it's just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And Joan Greenwood, who's always been one of my absolute heroines, plays this gorgeous character called Sibylla. And Valerie Hobson um, plays a noble woman. The costumes are out of this world and the hats are absolutely to die for. But it's just a fabulous film, it's black and white, but it's so funny and so dark and... Yeah, just a joy from beginning to end. Well, I should check that out. My only kind of um, a foray into the world of uh, late, um, lady yeah. killers. Sorry, yeah. not the lady killers. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And then I saw that they remade, Hollywood remade it. And I was like, this is not Yeah, awesome. not good, not good. Yeah, the lady killers <laughs> is great. But you've got, got to watch Kind Hearts and Coronets. It's ah, okay. a delight. Oh, yeah. I should check that out. It sounds really good. Kate. Nice cup of tea or a glass of wine. Um, <laughs> and then my third choice is the Wallace Collection. Oh, that's a good, that's a good shout. It's yeah. just so beautiful in Manchester Square. The collection is just heavenly. So from beautiful 18th century furniture, masterpieces, armour, exquisite jewelled snuff boxes. You just immerse yourself into this extraordinary world of wealth and luxury and craftsmanship and beautiful things isn't it yeah completely and utterly lovely and it was someone's home it's a bit like the frick you know in new york it's just extraordinary to go in and think this was all one person's private collection 
Oh, I love the Wallace collection. I haven't been in a long time, actually. It's kind of like a bit of a thing to go again. Yeah. Because it is beautiful there. It's lovely and also a very, very nice restaurant. <laughs> they do. They do, I recall they do nice tea, uh, tea and cake, I think it was what I Yeah, but they've there, got yeah. a very nice courtyard restaurant now. So it's quite, yeah, it's quite swanky. You can have good lunch there. Oh, oh well, mm. thank you. Thank you for the recommendations. And thank yeah. you for taking the time to speak to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's um, a pleasure. It's really lovely to meet you at last. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sean. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.